It's a pleasure to be amongst you this morning. As you guys know, we started our series for this year um, in the book of Genesis, and we're um, going through it. It is critical to be able to go more in depth in the word, right? It is critical. Um, a lot of you are college students, and you know that to graduate your program, you go in depth, right? And because at the end of your program, you will be the expert in whatever field you're studying, right? I, I studied accounting, and my teacher used to tell us, y'all need to get this right because at the end, you're the expert. Some of you, when you go out in the world, in your work environment, when it comes to God, you are the expert. Because the other people, they don't know God, and so if they want to know about God, they come to you. So you are the expert. Whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not, because you have a relationship with God, you are the expert. So you have to be intentional in going in depth in the Word of God. So please open your Bibles with me in Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to read from verse 4 to verse 14. Genesis chapter 2, from verse 4 to verse 14. If you have it, say amen. amen. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated in four headwaters. The name of the first was is the Pishon. It, it winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold that of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashore. And the fourth river is Euphrates. The word of God is already blessed. Amen. Do you ever wonder why you're here? Why are you here? And I don't mean why you here in church. I mean, why are we here? Why do we even exist? If I can be a little nerdy this afternoon, morning, uh, do we have any nerds in this room? Anybody that's a nerd? Amen. Amen. God, praise God for the nerds. If you look at the universe, you will find something that is missing. So far as we could tell, uh, we haven't been able to find life in the universe, right? So we look to the stars and we look to the planets and they are barren. They are barren. So, so it begs to the question, why is there life on this earth? 
And the atheist scientists, they're stuck at that question. Nobody can answer why there is life in this earth. I remember I was in college and I took a geography class. And I took a uh, geography class because I like the countries. And, and lo and behold, my school did not know the definition of geography. I took a geography class and my teacher taught us a whole lot of things except geography. And one of the assignments that he had for us was about the next level of evolution. In the next level of evolution, there was going to be a race of, of beings that in French they would call gape. In English, you would translate, I guess, bee wasp, like a, a merger of the bees and the wasp. Because humans were going to exterminate each other with a nuclear holocaust. And so the, the bees and the wasps are the only species that would survive. And I had to do an assignment on that. And I'm like, do I even get a choice? I don't really want to talk about that. But in there, they were talking about the origin of the universe and the Big Bang and all of that. But then they asked the question, what about life? And he had to concede, for life, we don't have an answer. If there is a God, that's where he would come in. But then after that, he has no role anymore. Right, so they can't explain life. So they say, okay, we can't explain it, so we're going to give it to God. But then after that, there is no God. Can I tell you some things this morning? There is a God. There is a God. The Bible says the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And I'm going to put it to you this way. Imagine, because now, you know, there's a lot of movies out there. It's about um, the end of the world and that sort of thing. And I, I love those movies. Any movie lovers, you love movies? I love those apocalypse-like movies. Greenland and all of that. Um, imagine you're in a nuclear holocaust, right? But you're able to hide yourself you're one of the fortunate ones that's able to hide in a bunker so you stay in the bunker and you stay in the bunker for six months right you're waited out so everybody's fighting but you're waiting it out but unfortunately for you in the bunker all you have is canned foods right so you can eat mac and cheese but you eat mac and cheese one day mac and cheese two day and, and eventually you get tired of the mac and cheese amen and so after six months, the group, they decide, okay, you know what? You're going to go out. You're going to go out and you're going to go find to see if we can find what happened, right? So you get out and now you see it's devastated. The whole place is devastated, right? And you walk, you have your gun, right? Because you never know, there might be a zombie somewhere. And you see in the devastation, you see one, one restaurant. It's standing and it's perfect. And it turns out it's your favorite restaurant. What's your favorite restaurant? Chick-fil-A? Fried chicken? Chick-fil-A, all right, all right. So it's a Chick-fil-A. And lucky for you, it's not Sunday. Amen. So you get to Chick-fil-A. You open the door. And oh, the chicken. 
You smell the goodness of the Chick-fil-A chicken, the goodness of the Chick-fil-A fries, you know those waffle fries? Oh, it smells so good. And then you get to the counter and where they have the employee of the, of the month or whatever, they have the survivor of the month and it's your picture. That's you. At that moment, what goes through your mind? You're like, what is going on? You're going to ask yourself what's going on. But the one thing that's not going to come to your mind, you're not going to say, oh, it's just chance. What you're not going to say is, oh, the bomb must have blew up a chicken at the farm and the chicken flew and it fried by itself. You're not going to say that. You're not going to say, oh, maybe the bomb blew up my house and the picture flew and landed in the slot where it says employee of the month. You're not gonna, you're gonna understand that somebody had to be at work for the restaurant to be open, for the food to be cooked, and for your picture to appear on the wall. Somebody was at work to make all of that happen. Can I tell you this something this morning? This is Earth. This is planet Earth. You look at the universe, it's barren. You look at Mercury, it's barren. You look at Venus, it's barren. You look at Mars, it's barren. But you look at Earth, it is full of life. That doesn't happen by chance. That happens by design. You know the, and, 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 and you're, so we ask ourselves, what do we need for life to be on Earth? And what you need, number one, you need to be in what they call the godly, godly lock. Goldilocks zone. It's a zone um, from which the distance from the planet to the earth where water can be liquid. Where you can have water. And, and the, that makes it that the temperature on earth is not too hot and not too cold. Y'all, y'all, well, anybody's complaining when it gets 80 degrees? You know, I'm good when it's 80 degrees, by the way. I'm, I'm good. You're not, uh, uh, but try Mercury. You know, Mercury gets up to 800 degrees during the day. And then it gets to minus 290 at night. So you think we're cold now that it's 50 in Florida? We're cold, like 40 is cold? Try minus 290. So, so Earth is in the Goldilocks zone, the, the, that perfect zone, a distance from the sun that allows for that. But then, it, but it's not it because the moon is also in the Goldilocks zone. So why isn't the moon also have life? Well, because the moon doesn't have an atmosphere. You also need the proper atmosphere that makes it, that regulates the temperature and regulates the cycles of the environment and, and, and all that stuff that favors life. And not just honey life. So you have plant life. You have uh, mammal life. You have human life, bird, and all that is. If you ever see, we don't even know all the species that exist on this earth. There are so many. Anybody like mangoes? So it's not only that you have life, but you also have things that favor life that you can enjoy. Uh, like me, I love mangoes. My favorite group fruit is grapes. Anybody like pineapples? Amen. Okay. Amen. Amen. So we have Haitians in the house. Amen. Watermelon, anybody? Amen. Amen. And, and, and all these things on earth already there for you to enjoy. But that, well, guess what they do? They bring life. And then what's inside of the fruit? A seed that you can plant to have more life. Everything on earth pushes for life. 
And that's why the Psalm, Psalm 19 verse 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. When you look up to the stars and when you look up to the earth, all of this cannot have been made by chance. All of this speaks of a creator, but not only any creator, it is a master, a master artist that was at work. We went, when we went to Kenya, we passed by Dubai and, and you look at that building. The Burj Khalifa, the biggest building on earth. And other big buildings, they look small in comparison. And it's like, wow. You go next, this year, God willing, we're going to Europe and you're going to see in Europe the architecture of all the old churches, the castles and all of that. And you're going to be like, wow. You know, the, the craftsmanship, the artistry of men. But can I tell you, it doesn't compare to the artistry of God. If, if you're a traveler and you had the opportunity to go in some places, even so if you were in Haiti and you were in the mountain and you look at the landscape, this is not by chance. This is by an artist. And in the artist, you have the signature in the art. You guys haven't noticed it's something that they call the Fibonacci sequence. You ever heard of that? That is, if you look at, and I probably should have gotten the image, but if you have an image of the Milky Way, you will see it's like a spiral. And then if you look at the image of a hurricane, it's the same spiral. And if you look at a, a, um, how you call that little insect that's really slow? Escargot. In French. A snail. Thank you. Thank you. You'll look at the shelf and it's the same spiral. It's the same sequence. And that's a mathematical equation that you find all throughout the universe. And you even find it in the Bible. The Ark of the Covenant has those dimensions. And you see that everything has the signature of the artist that made it, which is God. So the, the heavens declare the glory of God. When you start studying, and, and that's why I can't understand if you're studying science, how do you not believe in God? Because when you study science, you study the purpose of things. But how can something have a purpose if there's not somebody that, that willed it to be? How can you have order come out of disorder? You know, I'm going to give you a challenge. I'm going to give you TNT, which is dynamite, right? And I dare you to blow up the dynamite and have something come that has a structure to it. It's not going to happen. To have a structure, to have a structure, you need an architect that designed it. And so we see the wonders of God in the universe, in nature, but we also see, if we can follow with me in verse chapter 7, he says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. And you, so God takes the ground, and you know that the same basic elements that you have in the human body, you have in the dust of the ground, carbon. And you could see God's worksmanship in your own very life. And I came here to tell you one thing. You are wonderfully made. Amen. Touch your neighbor say you're wonderful. 
If they're your spouse, you can say it with confidence, right? Amen. God has made us, and it's a masterpiece. From inception, from the womb, you can see miracles at work. You, you know, and it's not political, but I don't know how you, because from inception, you can see everything happen to bring forth life. From inception, you can see the hand of God at work. Um, the, the, so, so, yeah. The body of, of, of the mom is going to start changing from inception, right? The blood flow is going to increase from 40 to 50% more blood flow when you're pregnant than your normal state. Everything in that body is going to be there for one thing and one thing alone. Protect and bring forth life. Protect and bring forth life. And so by, by week Four or five, the baby's brain and spinal cord have begun to form. The heart begins to form. Arms and leg buds appear. Your baby is now an embryo, one twenty-fifth of an inch long. So it starts out small, but it becomes great. Amen. Understand that the greatest artist was once a small embryo. Understand that the greatest athlete, whoever athlete you like, they were once a small embryo. The Bible says, do not despise the days of small beginnings. Don't despise something just because it's small. Because in there, that's the seed, but that's a seed from God. And that's the seed of greatness. So by week eight, all the major organs and external body structures have begun to form. Your baby's heart beats with regular rhythm. So now you have a heartbeat. The arms and legs grow longer. The fing- and fingers and toes have begun to form. The eyes have moved forward on the face and eyelids are formed. The umbilical cord is clearly visible. At the end of the eight weeks, you can clearly see it is a human. It's not a clump of cell. It's a human being. By week 12, the nerves and muscles begin to work together. Your baby can make a fist and external organs show if your baby is a boy or a girl. A woman who has an ultrasound in the second trimester or later might be able to find out a baby's gender. Eyelids closed to protect the developing eyes. They will not open again until the 28th week. Ed growth has slowed and your baby is much longer. Now it's about three inches. Your baby weighs almost an ounce. And that is just the first trimester. And you can see how that process keeps going all the way to full term. And that's why Psalm 139 verse 15, 16 says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So from your mother's womb, God was putting you together. You understand that if you're born where you're born, if you're born the way that you're born, with the skill set, with the mindset, with everything that you have, it is not an accident. You were crafted in your mother's womb by God. So I, I don't know if your mother was conceiving you in, in Haiti or if it was in Canada or, or Bangladesh or whatever it was. It was God being at work forming you in your mother's womb. And so you're fearfully and wonderfully made from inception. And then comes, uh, when we grow, understand that 
sometimes, and you know, we're talking about when he had the surgery. You don't know what you have until you, you stand to lose it. You don't know what you have until you stand to lose it. But you know that you're a wonderful, just in terms of engineering, a wonderful machine. If you just talk about the eyes, how many colors do you see your, you think your eyes could see? How many? Trinity, give me a number. 10,000? All right, I got 10,000. How many do you think? Naraya? How, how many? A million? Oh, you're getting closer. Micah? So now I can't say nothing, right? Like, Micah shut me up. <laughs> PJ? Oh, you're getting closer. The scientific answer is 10 million colors. But I, I think they make a mistake though. I think, I think, cause I, you know, I was researching that. It said 10 million. I said, oh, that's probably for women. Cause me, I can only see five. <laughs> like, I, I got 10. I got 10 million. You can ask my wife. I got blue. I got red. <laughs> I got light red. I got dark red. Burgundy don't exist for me. I don't know where you guys get burgundy from, right? Magenta. What is magenta? I got blue, red, uh, what is this pink? Same thing for me, right? But your eye is, can see 10 million colors. You can make the distinction with 10 million colors. They say if a eye was a camera, it would be 576 megapixel. Kenzie, how, how big is your camera? How many megapixel in your camera? 30 megapixel, and that's a super camera. If you're watching us from YouTube, you're 30 pixel, but your eye would be 576 pixels. And that's just the eye. Now the ears. Now imagine the ears. The ears, you have the outer ear, the inner, the middle ear, the inner ear. And the ear allows you to detect sound, right? Everybody hears a sound. But think about what needs to happen. You need to have a vibration. That comes into the outer ear and sends it to the middle ear, to the eardrum. And somewhere in the inner ear, it transforms it into electricity that goes to your brain. And then your brain is able to, to, to make sense of that sound. So if you're walking in the street and you hear a truck, you know, to move aside, you're able to interpret that that's danger. If, if you, if you come home and your mom is calling you by your full name, you know that that's danger. You say, what did I do? Right? Amen. Amen. Now I want to do a little exercise. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. And, and I'm going to go to someone and they're going to say fearfully and wonderfully made. And you're going to guess who said it. Amen. All right. Let's go to someone and I'm going to tap you on the shoulder and you're going to say fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. All right. You guys guess it is Tia. All right. Let, let's go to somebody else. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. All right, you guys guessed it. You guys guessed it. Let me, let's make it a little harder. Let's make it a little harder. Fearfully and wonderfully made. What? <laughs> In your, who said that? In your normal voice. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah. That was that was my son, DJ. Yeah, we have to um, start drama because I need to get him to act. But you see how you're able, not, he got it right, right? Amen. 
you see how you don't even have to see the person, you know who was talking. But understand what that means. That means the frequency of their voice is registered in your memory so that you can make, okay, that that first person was Tia because I know how she sounds. That second person was Clervis. And, and, and it's a different frequency that goes and your brain is able to interpret that sound. Fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Any handyman here, you, you like to work with your hands. Okay, what is your favorite tool in your toolbox? Screwdriver? The hammer? Do you know that the best tool to ever existed is not the screwdriver, it's not the hammer, it's your hand. It's just your hand. The things that you can do with your hands, no other instruments can do. Number one, with your hand, you have 27 muscles in there, nerves, Thousands of nerves at, at the end of your fingertips that allow you to touch and feel. If I would put a sheet of paper in your hand, you would know that it's a sheet of paper. If you would touch this, you would know that it's wood. It, 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 the feeling and sensation. And then you can grab stuff. I've been holding this for a long time. If I, it wasn't for the, the ridges in the, the, in the fingers, I wouldn't be able to hold this thing, right? And then you can, you ever try to get in your house and then you have one back here, another back here, and then with this, and then you're holding an envelope and then with the key and you're able to put the key in the... Name one tool that can do all of that. What is it? There's no tools. Even in your hands, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And then if that was it, hands, you can also communicate with the hands. You ever see the, the sign language? There was this lady in Tampa. <laughs> I don't know how she got the job. She goes and she does sign language for the, the, the governor, whatever, for the hurricane. And Monsil Baconfell. <laughs> she don't know how to do it. So she's there. She's all confident. And she's saying nothing, right? Because she didn't. And then she got arrested for it because it, it was during the hurricane. And the governor or the, the mayor, whatever, he's saying some very important. And she's like sending people but you, you can't communicate with your hands. If I say this, I'm saying some. If I say this, I'm saying some. That's all I'm going to do in church, though. But what are you thinking? Back to the ear. Ears also allow us to experience sound, music. Think about music. Now, animals, they make sound. They make beautiful sound. But who could do a melody like Mozart, like Beethoven. Who can make a beat like, like, like Carl makes a beat on the drum? And you can enjoy that experience. And, and, and that's what the body does. The body allows us to relate with the physical world, right? The body allows us to relate to one another. The body with the eyes and the ears and, 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 and the hands, the touch and all of those senses, they allow us to, to relate with this. But you know what? We're more than a body, right? He says, so if you follow with me, still in, in verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed, in, into his nostrils the breath of life. And so 
the part that you're more attuned to is the body. We all feel like we're body. We wake up in the morning and we look at the mirror. It's okay, hair is right. And you're attuned with the body, with the physical world. But it says that God, so he took the dust, but then he breathed something into man. And breathed in the Hebrew and the Greek is the same word that you have for wind, that you have for spirit. So you're not only a body, but you also have a spirit. And the spirit now is an innermost part of ourselves and it connects us to the spiritual world and now it gets a little a little deeper but psalm 20 psalm proverb 20 verse 27 says the human spirit is the lamp of the lord that sheds light on one's innermost being the human spirit is the lamp of the Lord that sheds light on one's inmost being. So deep inside you have a spirit and the spirit is where you get three things out of the spirit. One is you get conscience. You ever did something and you felt bad about it? And you don't necessarily know why you felt bad about it, but you just felt bad. That's because you have a conscience. That's because there's a part inside of you and it's inside of all human beings that tells you this is right and this is wrong. This is right and this is wrong. That's why even like in a secular movie, right? You're going to have the, the, the assassin, right? Is sending out and he's going to kill. Pa, 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 pa. And then he sees a child. And I can't do that. And then that's the whole movie where he protects the child, right? Because somewhere inside, he knows his conscience is telling him, you cannot kill the child. Now, he tuned it off to the part that says you cannot kill an adult either. But otherwise, there's no movie, right? But you have a conscience where that's what inside of you says it's right or wrong. And then you have intuition, you ever, now it's not a question of right or wrong, but you're getting into a room and you feel something is off. You don't know what it is, but you feel something is wrong and you're like, okay, you know what? I'm going to get out of here. Or you're, you're like, like, um, you're, you're about to get into something, right? Or somebody says, Oh, Kenzie, you want to go with us, uh, downtown Miami? And you're like, yeah, I want to, but something in your heart is telling you, yeah, don't go. And you don't go and then find out there was a shooting. And had you went, you would have been caught in the shooting, right? Intuition, right? But the deepest part of the spirit is communion with God. That's the aspect of ourselves that is in communion, that is allows us to be in communion with God, right? It says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 10 to 11, it says... These are the things God had revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And in Romans chapter 8, it says that God's spirit tells our spirit that we are children of God. 
that God's spirit testified to our spirit that we are children of God. And, and so that's a part of you where you're in communion with God. That's a part of you where when all hell breaks loose on the earth, that still small voice inside of you to say, it's going to be okay. That's the Holy Spirit. Now that's telling your spirit it's going to be okay. You can't explain it while everybody's freaking out around you. You can't explain it, but you know inside of you that you're going to be okay. Why? Because now you have communion with God and God in his power and his wisdom is to letting you know I'm in control. You're going to be okay. You have that communion. That same communion with God is what makes it that when you see injustice in this world, when you see something wrong in this world, now you have to get involved, not because of you, not because it affects you, but because it affects God and God wants you to get involved. That's why we, let's say we're going to go on mission trip, right? And we go like, let's say we go to an orphanage. Why? It was because the heart of God is with the orphans. And if it's important to God, then it becomes important to me. And that's the part where God tells you what he wants you to do. That's the part where God is in communion and communication with you. There's a prophet in the Bible named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was young when he was called. And God called him and said, I need you to serve him, serve me. And that's Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 to 9. It says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And then Jeremiah said, Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I commend you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over the nations and kingdoms to up uproot. And tear down to destroy and overthrow to build and to plan. Jeremiah at a young age, because he had a, com a communion with God, he was called into a ministry that he didn't think he could do. He didn't think that he could do it. He said, God, I, I'm kind of young to kind of do that. I can't do it. But God said, don't say I'm too young because you're going to go to everyone that I sent you. And Jeremiah became, the book Jeremiah became one of the pivotal books in the Old Testament. Do you know that God knows you better than you know yourself? You know that God knows you and crafted you and there are some things that God might want you to do that you do not think you could do because you're looking at your human reality, but you're not looking at the reality that the same one who created the mountains and the seas is the same one that created you. And if he's calling you to do something, he's also going to empower you to do that thing that he called you to do. We have a saying in French that says, Quand Dieu envoie, il pourvoit. All right, let's learn a little French today. Say, Quand Dieu envoie, il pourvoit. Say a little French. So you can't say I never taught you French, right? When God sends, he will provide. 
Right? When God sends you, he will provide. And unfortunately, we limit ourselves because we, we look to us. We look to our past experiences, right? Our past failures. If I failed here, then how am I going to be able to do that? Well, God is not looking at your past failures. He's looking at his own craftsmanship and he knows how he made you and he knows that he empowers you. Now, if you have Christ, you also have the spirit of Christ. The same spirit that created everything is inside of you so God can make a way where there's no way. Right, God can open doors when there's no doors. You know the song we just sang, it says, um, uh, c'est où qui référence moi? You know, in the professional context, when you apply for a job, sometimes they ask you for a reference. And they're going to listen to what the reference got to say, right? So if you give them a reference, and then they call you, and then the reference says, oh no, he sucks, like he doesn't, he doesn't work hard. You're going to get a nice letter in the mail, right? Saying, unfortunately, we have considered blah, blah, blah. But if the reference says, oh, that guy? Oh, he's super good. Oh, man, I wish he was still working for us. Or they're calling you right now, say, start tomorrow. Amen. How many people are happy that God is your reference? God is your reference. God is the one saying the word, right? For what you need to accomplish in your life, to what needs to happen tomorrow, God is your reference. God is the one that's going to say a word. God is the one, when they call, God is the one speaking. When something happens, God is the one opening the door. And, and don't be worried if you have to wait some time, right? Joseph had to wait years, but when God said the word, he went from the prison to the palace. David went from running for his life to becoming a king. It's funny because for David, his dad wasn't his reference, right? His brothers were not his reference. Brother number one, number two, number all the way to brother number seven. Nobody believed in David, but God said, I know the man that's after my own heart. I know how I made him, and I know I'm going to take him from being a shepherd of sheep to becoming the shepherd of Israel, and he's going to lead my people. And furthermore, he's going to be the ancestor of the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. When nobody saw anything in David, God saw not only David, not only salvation for Israel, but salvation for the whole world. Salvation for the whole world. Now you might not think a lot of yourself right now, but God is seeing in you things that you don't even know he's going to do. And my question for you is, can you put your trust in God? Can you bring your heart back to God? He says he took the man from the dust and he made him. And we can see he did a great thing with, with the human body. And then he says he blew his own spirit into inside of man. And you can see the, the, the communion that you can have with God with the spirit. And then he says, a man became a living being. Or a living soul. Nefesh in Hebrew. Nefesh. A living soul. And in your soul, now that is, so the world, in other words, sorry, the body makes you world conscious. The spirit makes you God conscious. The soul makes you self conscious. 
It's in your soul that you have your intelligence, your capacity to think, your intellective capacity, right? Uh, it's in the soul that you have your emotions. And when he says, let us make men to our image and our likeliness, I don't think it's talking about the hands and the feet. I think it's talking about the capacity to think. The capacity to create. God is the creator. He created everything. But we are his creature and making his image that makes us creative. So that's why you can see the artists, they make nice buildings, but God makes nice mountains, right? They, 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 they make nice painting, but God makes amazing landscape. But we get that, where we do, do we get that from? We get that from God. So in, in, in your soul, you have your intelligence, your capacity to think, your capacity to reason, your capacity to, to make sense of the world and, and interpret different situations. You have your emotions, how you feel about something, to be able to feel deeply, to feel love, to feel hate, to feel joy, to feel sadness, to feel sorrow, to feel excitement. That's the soul. But the middle of the soul, the, 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 the pivotal point of the soul. So you have what they call cognition, intelligence. You have emotion. That's the heart. But then you have volition, volition, your will, what you, you decide. And, and, and that's where the problem became for men is because with volition, you have the choice to make right. And you have the choice to make wrong. Now, I'm not going to go into the fall. That's going to be next week. But you have the choice with your volition. But unfortunately for us is since the fall, we have a tendency to wander away. To stray away from God. We have a, a tendency to, 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 to go away, right? So you, you have that battle inside of you where you have your, your, your heart, you have your, 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 your soul, your, your, your body, your flesh, and the desires that you want. But then you have God. You have the word. And, and let me put it to you this way. This week I had a fight. Had a big fight. It was a fight to the finish. That was last night, yesterday, the other one, Saturday, because I work on Saturdays and, and to get to work on Saturdays, you have to be there like at seven o'clock. I woke up at seven twenty. I lost the fight with my bed. That was a tough fight. It was rough, but the bed won because the bed was soft and warm. But how many times that's how we feel, right? You have something that you know you have to do, but something that you want to do. You really should do this, but you really want to do that. You really should go this way, but you really want to go that way. And you have the battle inside of you. And how many times what you want wins over where you should go? How many times this one wins over that one? And that's the whole story of the fall without getting too much in the detail. God told them, you can have everything except this thing. And they said, yeah, I know I should go eat all these other fruits, all those mangoes and pineapples, but I really want that one. And that created a situation.
where ever since that day, we have a tendency to wander away, to wander away from God. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives three parables. And, and, and I think that those parables express well where we are. The first parable is the parable of the lost sheep. And in there, Jesus says there was a, a shepherd and he had a hundred sheep. And one of them went away. So the shepherd leaves the 99 and he goes get the one. How many of us would have said, you know what? I still got 99. Let me leave the one. So I don't lose the 99. But he says God is different. God is going to leave the 99 to go get the one. And maybe today you're the one. Whether you're in this room or you're watching online where you know you strayed away from God. But God is saying, you know what? I'm still going to come after you. I'm still going to go reach you and I'm still going to bring you back home. The second parable is the parable of the coin. It says, who here you lose a coin? And, and, and let me put it this way. Who here you lose money and you're not going to look for the money? If you have a thousand dollars and you lost a hundred, who's going to go look for the hundred? You're looking for the hundred? Or you're going to let it go? No, you're going to look and you're going to look everywhere for the hundred. Let's say this is a hundred dollars. And you find it, are you going to be happy? What if it's crumbled? You find it, but it's crumbled like this. Are you still taking it? Why? It's crumbled though. Because it still has the value. And it's the same for us. Maybe you strayed away from God. Maybe you feel like you failed. Maybe you feel that you're like crumbled. But I want to tell you this afternoon, you still have the same value. You still have the same value to God. And you know what that value is? It's the value of Jesus Christ. Because that's why, that's what needed to be done for you to be reunited with God. It needed for Jesus to go and die on the cross for your sin, for my sin, to bring you back to God, to make a way for you to come back to God. So you never lost value. You might have lost time, but you did not lose value. You might have lost some self-respect in doing this and that, but you never lost value because God, when Jesus died on the cross, he already knew what you were going to do and he accepted to pay the price because you have value in his sight because he's the one that made you fearfully and wonderfully made so I don't care what you did on Monday what you did on Tuesday Wednesday you still have value before God and the last parable is that of the lost son what we call the prodigal son and in this one the son told the father, I want my inheritance. Meaning, I wish you were dead. Because you only get the inheritance when the, died, when the dad dies. And he said, I want my inheritance. So that means, you can die. Give me my money. And then he, the, the father gives him the money and then he takes it and he goes. And he squanders the money. He squanders the money. And he gets to a low point. To the point where he's eating the food of the pigs. Now in Jewish culture, there's no dirtier animal than a pig. 
So for a Jew, they don't associate with pigs. They don't even eat pork. And he finds himself not even eating the pork, but eating the, the, the stuff that the porks eat. That's how low he got. That's how low he got. And then he realizes that even the servant in my father's home are treated better than I'm treated now. If I go back home, I can maybe be a servant of my father. So he goes back home. And then the Bible says when he was a farthest way off. So meaning he was in a distance and the father was already looking for him. Meaning what? Meaning that if you come back to God, God is already looking for you from a distance. And if you come back to God one step he's going to make a hundred steps because the father ran to the son and embraced the son and he said and the son said to the father I want to be your servant and the father said what my servant you're not going to be my servant you're my son and he said go kill the big fat calf we're going to have a party and he did a big celebration for the son gave him a nice robe gave him a nice thing and then the, the other son is mad. He said, I always did good. Why, 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 why don't you do that for me? And he says to the other son, because it's already all yours. Right? Uh, how many times, you know, you got blessing in Christ. And sometimes it's just we don't take advantage of them. But then he says, he says, verse 31 of chapter, Luke chapter 15. My son, the father said, you are always with me. That's to the, the other son. And everything I have is always yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. And he's alive again. He was lost and he is found. And all throughout that chapter, he says, you know what? There is more joy in heaven for one sinner that repents than for 99 righteous that don't need to repent. You know that God is fully invested in your life. He's fully invested in you coming back to Him. He's fully invested. I worship that you guys can come. We're going to close. He's fully invested. And that's the whole goal. You know, He created men. Men is nice, nice and beautiful or whatnot. Wonderful. But you will never reach your full potential. You will never reach the full meaning of life unless you're reconnected with your creator. That's where meaning of life comes from, is to be connected to the creator. James 4 verse 8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Let's close our eyes and just take a moment between you and God. Have you lived in that communion with God? Have you lived in that communion with the Creator? Take this opportunity. Come back to God.